0: This is one of my favorite, I love doing these messages, um, on, uh, on the, the Feast and Festivals, you probably have told because I've dropped little hints and I keep pushing things out about prophecy and some of the lessons that I would like to, before I leave you all, that I would like to uh, 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 present in regards to upcoming events and prophetic fulfillment of the Bible but the other thing I really have a passion for and that is the Jewish feast and festivals the Old Testament feast and festivals what God has said in Leviticus and that is God's appointed times and how it was meant to represent looking back but also Christ's fulfillment looking forward and every major milestone in Christ's life was connected to a feast or a festival and there's a couple yet to be fulfilled and I just think that's great it gives us a timeline it gives us a a a model, a a, a matrix that we can take a look at. So we're going to take a look at that today as we lead up to communion. We're going to talk about this week. I mean, Wednesday it happens, Wednesday night into Thursday. We're pretty close to the way it was in A.D. 30 when Jesus had, uh, of course, the Passover was crucified, resurrected on Sunday. We're pretty close to about one day off of when it actually happened back in A.D. 30. So that sometimes um, Passover and Easter are weeks apart. And if you don't know why, yes, I've already gone. Look, it's the title slide. I'm already going off on my first tangent. Um, If you don't know the history of Eastern, I'll talk a little teeny bit about it next week, but when the Council of Nicaea met in 325 A.D., they wanted to come up with a date that they could celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and they chose, here's the formula, the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. That's an easy formula. With that formula, Easter Sunday can fall on March 22nd to April 24th. That's how many. That's, that's how the, the, the uh, spread... That's why you sometimes go, well, why is Easter so late? Well, it, it won't be after April 24th, and it won't be before March 21st because that's the vernal equinox. So it, it, it always have, would have to be the next day would be the earliest. So that's just a little bit of something there for you. So we have to make it complicated. Just like we had to make it complicated. Let's go to the next slide since I'm just rambling on here. Um, we had to make it complicated for Christmas as well. We had to tie it to, of course, the, the, you know, the, the, the festival of Isis and Saturnalia and all of that. And, and you know it's like, if you ask me, I, I believe Christ was born in the fall, but that's another. You have to take a Sunday school class for me to get everything out that I want to say about this. So let's go to the next slide, please. Um, so in, in Leviticus, God says... Speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that will proclaim. you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. And here's the feasts and festivals. And you know what I found? I found him. Oops. He's going, what is he doing? Looking for spare change. No. I found my pointer. Look at that, boy. I've been looking for this all week. I prayed and prayed and I found it yesterday. It's going to come in handy in the next couple slides. But these are the feasts and festivals that God appointed and, to the, and you can read Leviticus, and you go, well, that's Mark, that's so Old Testament. You know what? And this is my opinion. This came to me sitting right there. I'm going to shine the light right there. It's just before I came up. And, and, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe you're going to go, oh, my gosh, it is so theologically wrong. But I go, I was thinking, you know, the New Testament doesn't have its validity without the Old Testament. And the Old Testament doesn't have its fulfillment without the New Testament. I like that. Feel free to write it down. I won't even charge you, and Chad won't have to put the copyright up there. That just stole it from me. But no, if we look at the New Testament, but without the Old Testament, it doesn't have its validity and its foundation. So we take a look at these. I'm going to play with this for the next three or four slides. You know, we take a look at these. Nope, not the next one. Okay. We take a look at these. There's two missing, but those aren't God's appointed times, and that's Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights. Jesus celebrated that. It's in the Bible. That's Hanukkah. That was to celebrate the cleansing of the temple after the Maccabee revolt that drove the Assyrians out of the temple, cleaned the temple up, and rededicated it and re-sanctified it. It's an eight-day festival, and that is called the Festival of Lights, Festival of Dedication. God didn't appoint that. They just made it up to celebrate. The other one is the Feast of Purim. Which means lots, like you draw lots, you know, like you see movies where they did little straws, and they, and that had to do with the rescue and the salvation, the rescue of the Jews during the time of Esther, and her uncle Mordecai, and Haman, who was the chief advisor uh, uh, to the king, and was wanted all the Jews killed, and, and God came in and and rescued uh, through Esther. The best best verse in there is when Mordecai is telling Esther, she goes, I don't want to do this, I don't want to approach the king. He said, who knows that you're not here for just such a time as this? And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to take another, in that you all are here during this time, during this transition of Pastor Sid through Pastor Rusty and me to the next pastor that God's called. You are here for such a time as this. And this is why we are here and why we want to serve the Lord to the best of our ability and pray and continue to love on each other. So that's the first the first thing. I, I was talking to, I think it was um, Jan Bender, I was talking and said, um, I'm going to get excited today. I said, I'm going to be walking the stage and I'm going to go off on a bunch of stuff. She goes, well, as long as we're not here till one o'clock. <laughs> it's like, so I've got 1245 is what I'm shooting for. Hey, Debbie's helping out with, Communion in Brighton, so she doesn't know how long it's going to be to like them all. So let's go to the next slide, Chad. I know you and I will be, we'll be playing back and forth here. But if you take a look at that, here is, I know it's, a, it's an eye chart, um, but here is the, the calendar, if you will, and the flow of the feasts and festivals. You've got our calendar down here, which goes from March, and i wrapped it around again on March because it does, it overlaps. And you've got these three months from Nisan through to Savan, where we have the Feast of First Fruits. The Passover, seven weeks plus 50 days, and you know that's Pentecost, that's Pentecost is Greek for 50 days. So it's seven weeks plus Sunday from Passover to the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost or Shavuot. And then we have the Fall Feast, which we won't be able to go into today, but we have the Feast of Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And And that comes roughly in our fall. So some of the March, April, Mayish. Months that we celebrate and the September, October ish months that that, um, we celebrate fall into these calendar timelines um, for the feasts and festivals. Let's go to the next slide and we'll blow up the spring feast. So, what we're looking at from a spring feast standpoint is we're going to talk about that this this, um, week long seven plus one, eight day. Uh, and I guess I could do it on this side too, just so it like I'm leaving you guys out. Um, starts on the 14th of Nisan, in the evening, the Passover meal, the Passover Seder, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread goes for seven days. And then the way this works out is that the Sunday after Passover is what's called first fruits. So it was the first day of the week following Passover. So you have to take a look at that's why the date in which it occurred. Is so so incredible. AD thirty was where this wound up being Friday, and then this wound up being the third day. So it turned out that when when the Bible predicts Christ would be would raise from the third day, it had to be there. So Friday was Passover. That's the first day. The second day was Saturday in the grave. Third day was Sunday, and He rose again on the third day on first fruits. We're going to talk, isn't that, it's just, I mean, whew, okay. Of course, my wife's not here. I'm going to get dry and there's no water, but I'm not asking anybody to go get it. I'm just saying I may just talk myself right out of um, saliva. So anyway, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at God's fulfillment it was so precise. Isn't that just like him? You know, he timed it out just so it worked work out right. It's like, oh no, Passover couldn't have been on Tuesday that year because it would have wrecked everything. He couldn't have rose on Sunday. That would have been six days later, and it would have messed up the whole third day thing. So Passover on on Thursday evening, of course, which was Friday, because they celebrated starting with the evening. You know, Passover Seder on the uh, Thursday night on through to Friday morning. All the trials, by the way, quick commercial for the message on um, Good Friday. We're going to talk about the six trials of Christ. We always talk about what happened up to Jesus getting arrested in the garden. And then we jump right to Jesus carrying his cross, you know, and and, and getting crucified. But that eight, nine hours that he went through, of course, we know the abuse. And we we, we see in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that he went through six trials. And we're going to take a look at those um, on Good Friday, exactly at the same time that he was going through those. So let's go ahead and talk about this a little bit so the first the whole thing is called the feast of unleavened bread <clears throat> this is your typical matzo cracker it's unleavened uh, you take, I mean I, I buy it every year because I for like 10 years I've done a Passover Seder from a Christian perspective love doing it love talking about Christ's fulfillment and so let's go ahead to the next one so in this festival the feast of unleavened bread is a 7 day feast um, celebrating the, uh, the spring harvest go ahead next slide um, leaven, yeast, was used as a symbol for sin. And you, there's verses in the Bible that says, Purge the leaven. You know, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and leaven equaled sin. And so in in the practice of this Passover Seder, unleavened bread, the first day they got all of the leaven out of the house. Anything with yeast in it, they got out of the house and distributed. In fact, in the old days, they used to take it outside the camp and burn it. I mean, they just wanted sin symbolically. As far away from everybody as they could, and so they cleaned it out now there's much more ritual behind that. They leave a little bit for the dad to find so he can be the guy that actually finishes cleaning out the sin i won't go into that i 'd love to, but unless we think we got pizza brought in. We just go on but in first corinthians uh, in first Corinthians five six through eight, um, Christ or, or Paul acknowledges or exhorts the church to say, get rid of the old yeast or leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch of dough, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Paul encourages, say, look at this. We're starting out with this feast. And this is New Testament now. Paul's still celebrating these feasts and festivals. He's saying, we're starting out here, we're talking about unleavened bread. Christ was our unleavened bread. So that is symbolic. We need to do everything we can to try to remove sin from our lives. Through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' symbolic. He lived as we did, Hebrews says, yet without sin. Because Jesus had to be without sin, or He wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. There's no other way. You can't say he was human-born. You can't say he wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit. You have to say that, that Mary was a virgin because all of that leads up to Jesus being sinless and divine and therefore the perfect sacrifice. The primary message and the goal of the feast is the removal of sin from our lives, our homes, and even our churches and congregations. I mean, we're human. Sin exists and we need to take a look at it and try to get rid of it. Okay, so let's take a look at, at Christ's fulfillment of, of just the first part, the feast of the unleavened bread. First of all, he declares in the Bible that, the Bible, that he is the unleavened bread. In Luke twenty two nineteen, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread and he said, this is my body. So this now represents, I am the unleavened bread. I mean, this is all brand new. You understand, these are Jews. And Jesus was a Jew. Let's not forget that. Jesus was a Jew. And he was celebrating. He said, can we get to this part where I'm breaking this unleavened bread, the matzah, called the afikomen. Again, that was a, that's another lesson. And I'm breaking this. And now this, has, this is representing my sinless body. And the bread itself resembles Christ's um, body. It's been said that we've taken a look. Let's go back. Um, Chad, I'm going to challenge you again. If you can go back. Uh, one more slide or two. One more. Yeah, go. If you can go, can you go backwards? Try one more then. And I'm sorry. I'm, Chad has no idea I'm doing this. If you take a look at this, it's been said that Isaiah 53:5 says that he was wounded or bruised or wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's a messianic Isaiah. I love that passage. And here you go. He was bruised. There's the they take a look at say they say these look like bruises. Okay? His stripes we are healed. It's all in a row if you look at it closely. And there's little dots, piercings, throughout this entire piece of matzah. So it's pierced, bruised, and striped. And I just it may be a stretch, but Jesus said, I am the unleavened bread. Now we've got to go ahead three slides, or two slides back to the one we were on again. The other thing that's interesting was throughout his ministry, Jesus declared himself to be the bread. In addition to the unleavened bread, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life in John 6.48. He says, John 6.48 is, I am the bread of life. That's it. That's the verse. John 6.51, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven, and if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Of course, that was you know. What he was look, If I eat this, I I live forever. Well, obviously, we mean from an eternity standpoint. Even so much that he was born in Bethlehem, and it looks like the slide got cut off right here. But I believe it's in your notes that Bethlehem means house of bread. Mic drop. Psh, mic drop. Emoji with the head exploding. So Jesus was the epitome, the divine representation of the sinless unleavened bread. He was the fulfillment of that entire feast of unleavened bread. And he was bringing that to the disciples. So let's move on to the first meal that celebrates the seven days of unleavened bread. And that is the Passover. The Passover was, of course, to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt. Uh, the blood of a sacrificed lamb protected, uh, the home. We all know the story that the, the angel of death came through. The, the Israelites had, had, sac- had killed a lamb and had spread the blood on the doorposts. The angel of death passed over, sparing the firstborn. Next slide. First day of the seven day feast of unleavened bread is Passover. It's the first day. And all leaven is to remove from the house, a removal of sin, as they prepare for the seven-day feast. And the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were to be an everlasting sign of God's deliverance and representation or, or, or redemption. Next slide. The meal itself was symbolic. Every family was celebrating at that point. They were celebrating the, the Passover Seder meal, and the Seder meal was to be celebrated on that first night. If we could go to the next slide. Um, on the 14th of Nisan, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all unleavened was removed from the house. I've said that a thousand times. An unblemished lamb was to be killed. And the primary elements of the um, uh, uh, Seder meal, again, it, it seemed to got cut off, is the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the wine. I think that's also in your notes. So the primary elements are the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the wine. There's all sorts of ones. Let's go to the next slide. And you'll see uh, when you set up a Seder meal, there's all sorts of stuff. All of this has representation. They have four cups of wine, which I'll go into. You have this carouset, which is an apple-nut mixture, which represents the mortars and the bricks. Um, you have the lamb shank bone, which represents the Passover lamb. You have the bitter herbs, which re- which is really horseradish. And it, it celebrates the um, uh, the tears of suffering, uh, being in, in-, in um, slavery. And from a New Testament standpoint, it's our tears of suffering, being a slave of sin. So it's so easily translatable into Christ's fulfillment. We have the egg, which again celebrates new life. We have the parsley, which they dip in salt water to have again to be these tears of sadness and sorrow over our sin. And there's a whole thing that goes around it. Of course, then we have the unleavened bread and the four cups of wine that are part of that Passover Seder. So Jesus now, can, can remember this, and here's the, the scripture verse, in Luke 22, 7-20, I'm just going to kind of set the stage, the day of unleavened bread came, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, and Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go make preparations to eat the Passover. He replied, You enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to that house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you to a large room upstairs, all furnished, ready to go. So Jesus already had this planned out with his disciples. They left and found things just as Jesus told them, so they prepared for the Passover. They were preparing this Seder meal. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. That is the first cup. This isn't where he makes... The Lord's Supper. This is the first cup of the four. It's the cup of preparation, the cup of sanctification, cup of blessing. There's all sorts of names for it. But he says, I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until I return. And then he took the bread. Later on throughout the meal, there's a part where they break bread and hide a portion of it. And he said, he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So if we go to the next slide, the, yeah, this one, these, stay here. So there's four cups of wine throughout the Passover Seder. You get to a certain point, and then you drink from that cup. The first cup is the cup of, again, as I said, sanctification or blessing. is to set us apart at the beginning of the Seder. The second cup is the cup of praise. And the cup of judgment, because during that time they read the ten plagues uh, of what the Egyptian uh, plagues that was experienced while the Israelites were there. After dinner, so after you get done with the second cup, they eat. And in comes all the food. When I do this in a science school class. We do this first part. We go through all of the things, and then we all have a potluck. And then we come back after the potluck and continue. And this is where Jesus took. He took the third cup. It says in Luke, and he took the cup after dinner. And he, that's the cup that he said, this is my blood. He is now the cup of redemption. He's the unleavened, sin, unleavened, sinless bread. And he is this particular cup, the cup of redemption, the third cup. I mean, that just makes communion so much more special for me. Knowing that Jesus just didn't sit there and go, Hey John, toss me a piece of bread. Hey Peter, hand me that glass. Okay, I'm going to come up with some object lesson here. So you all remember this. No, he specifically took elements out of the Seder in order for them to be what they could relate to. They knew the cup of redemption. They were looking for the Messiah. This was the cup of redemption. They, they drank it in hopes that the Messiah was going to come. Well, guess what? Jesus is going, just in case you haven't caught on in three and a half years, and sometimes I wonder, I feel sorry for the disciples. I'm not saying they're dumb, but it just seems like there's so much that Jesus told them and they didn't understand. Right up to the point they're like, they couldn't understand. And I know sometimes Jesus talked in cryptic parables and he didn't come right out and say it. You know, I'm not going to be here anymore. Well, where are you going? He goes, Where I'm going, you can't go, and where I'm going, you don't know, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. And they're going, Well, that, um, okay, that didn't answer the question. <laughs> you know, but Jesus didn't always speak clearly. But after he resurrected, of course, everything became clear to the disciples. But I'm sure some of them were frustrated. He goes, What does he mean? I don't know what he means. Where is he going? I can't go. I can't go. Follow me. I can't go. Where he's going, I can't go. You know, I don't understand what that means. But he was telling them, obviously, he was going, number one, to suffer a death that they couldn't suffer, although 11 out of the 12 disciples did. And he was also going to be in heaven with his father, which they could not follow him at that point, but ultimately they would. So he was not being cryptically cruel to the disciples. He was talking to them in a way that they would eventually understand. So the fourth cup of wine later on in the dinner is the cup of thanksgiving or hope. And then finally, we have, they set a fifth cup of wine for Malachi talks about the fact that the Messiah will come after Elijah. And so at the end of the Seder meal, you know, Dad underneath the table does this. And they all run to the door and open the door to see if Elijah's there. Because they set a place for Elijah, because they know if Elijah's there, the Messiah is coming. But we already know that Jesus said John the Baptist came in the spirit, you know, of John the Baptist. He was John, he was Elijah in spirit. Not the spirit of Elijah, but he was Elijah the Spirit, and he preceded the Messiah. John the Baptist. Boy, I tell you, now that's another study. He was the one, the voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be brought low, and the crooked will be straight. And he said, I am he that's in the wilderness. He went out and lived on locusts and honey, and he said, the one that's coming after me is greater than me. I'm not even fit to untie or tie the laces of his sandals. And yet Jesus walked right up to him and said, you need to baptize me. I mean, can you imagine John the Baptist? ba 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 I just told him I can't untie your sandals, and now you want me to have the privilege of baptizing you. And, and Jesus said, that is to fulfill again. So we take a look at all of this, and Christ fulfilled All of this, and I know I may be the only one this excited, but Christ fulfilled all of this. So let's take a look, and again, kind of wrap this up. Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. I just read that passage. It's parallel, of course, you know, in the Gospels. Passover was the foundation upon which Christ established the sacrament of communion. He established it by using the elements within the Passover Seder. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of three steps, the three primary elements of the Passover. He was the sacrificial lamb. Paul refers to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. Other verses in the Bible say he was led, um, he was afflicted and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers, he was silent and did not open his mouth. That's in Isaiah. Corinthians says, get rid of the old yeast. We talked about that. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus took that role as the Passover Lamb, and if you jump all the way to Revelation, behold the Lamb of God. There was the scroll that was to be opened to fulfill the rest of of um, prophecy, and John was crying, and everybody in heaven was weeping because there was no one who was qualified to open that scroll with the seven seals. And continue the prophecy that God had ordained. And then someone says, no wait, look who can do it. Here he comes, the lamb that was slain for the world. That's Jesus. He is our, prophet. He is our Passover lamb. We're not Jews. Well, some of you may have Jewish heritage, but we're not Jews. But he is our Passover lamb. He is the, the blood shed on the doorstep. So the angel of death passes by us. And we can live eternally. And finally, the wine is His shed blood. Not just any wine, but the third cup, the cup of redemption. Let's move to the next slide, and we will ask the, um, those that are attending uh, for communion to come forward. As I finish up in this last part, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we need to ask ourselves a few things. Now that we understand the elements of the Seder, and we understand just how significant, and I don't know if this, if you've ever thought about it. You just know, well, we take communion because it's the blood and, and, the, and, the, and the body of Christ, and it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal. But I, now you understand how a big deal it is. So we need to ask ourselves why we take, while we take communion, I mean, whether it's once a month, once a quarter, what are we doing to continually and intentionally guard against the sin in our lives as we celebrate and remember Christ's ultimate? Sacrifice for us. Please come forward and prepare. And we'll go to that last slide. So as we come before the Lord, again, as we've done this I learning, uh, this. We, we come forward and take um, the elements. I don't know if there's a pattern. I've only done this once. There's a pattern that comes down, I guess, and then takes the... Um, the wine and the bread. And also we want to make sure if anybody, if you can't get out of your seat, we'll make sure that someone uh, gets the elements. And so we'll wait. If they I mean, Irene, were you planning on playing some music or? That'd be great. If you could just play some music until everybody has been served. So let's go ahead and come forward um, and take, receive the elements as we move forward through the representation of our Christ's suffering. Bless you, sir. We're going to wait a minute. He's going to serve Sunday school, so we'll just just bow your heads and just reflect, reflect on hopefully some part of the message today that may have spoken to your heart. Or reflect on your sin. Reflect on your appreciation to the Lord for His salvation. We just going to take a moment because we are taking elements to those that are in the uh, in the Sunday school. We just want to make sure everybody has an opportunity. Thank you thanks Irene. Thank you. All right Thank you Again um, it's interesting when you think about the uh, uh, the celebration of the of the Lord's Supper uh, Paul instituted it Jesus did but Paul kind of gave us directions after he'd spent time in the desert with the Lord. Many of you might not know that after Paul was called, he spent time and was taught directly by the Lord's Spirit, um, right outside of Damascus, and then came back from that wilderness experience. And during that time, when he's writing the the uh, letter to the Corinthians, he's the one that gives us the model for that. Even though Jesus did in Luke and Matthew, uh, Corinthians or says to here, uh, let's prepare to take the elements, taking the words right out of the Scripture. First Corinthians eleven twenty three through twenty six. Paul's writing, For I received from the Lord, okay? he received this from the Lord, that I also now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And Paul continues, driving my point home, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your perfect plan through your Son, Jesus Christ, and how it aligns, again, so perfectly with the Feast and fe- Festivals you established thousands of years earlier, only to see it come fulfilled through your Son, Jesus, and a couple of those festivals yet to be fulfilled upon His return. So we just, Father God, ask, uh, ask you to speak to our hearts. As the psalmist said, try me, O Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any way, any wicked way, any anxiety in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. May that be our prayer this week as we go through the steps. Hopefully people are doing a devotional on each day after the triumphal entry today. You know, Father God, as your son's riding in Jerusalem and people are saying Hosanna and throwing palm leaves, panches down, and they wanted to, he wanted him to ride up that uh, young donkey right up the steps of the Roman uh, building and just take right over and claim his kingdom, and he didn't. And those same voices, six days later, are screaming for his death. The very same people that were cheering him on as their king not even realizing that his kingdom was not of this earth. Yet, he will raise from Jerusalem. He will reign from Jerusalem during the millennium. And God, on the throne of David, it's a promise in the Bible. But as he came in, Hosanna, King of kings and Lord of lords, six days later they were calling for his death. Father God, help us to realize, understand and embrace what went on and have gratitude in our hearts for Jesus' sacrifice. And we ask these things in His name, and we do look forward to His second return. Amen.